Okay. All right. So since we're already talking about it, uh, <laughs> oh wait, we have to do we have to intro. If we're doing a nature chat, we have to like start where we start. Oh so man. So that I know where to cut is the this, video. Is this where we're gonna start though? Talking well, about... no. I'm gonna I'm gonna start and be like, hey, welcome to nature chat. Da 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 da, and do the. Or thing. is this like you you want to have? No, this, wait, this I want to ask about Letterkenny first. I want to ask you. Oh, you want to ask about Letterkenny? To a T. Uh, like every every person I I. I have ever like what that I know watches that show is like they either it like describes their like them growing up perfectly or they identify as some of the characters in it. It is, yeah. That makes <laughs> me wow. so happy. That makes me. I was like, I, so I was talking to one of my American friends who watches it, and he was like, he was talking about this like uh, this trip that he wants to do up through BC. And I was like, I was like, man, if you do it and you go through these small towns in BC, and oh yeah, not like Letterkenny, how disappointed? He was like, I would be crushed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I played hockey growing up, right? And I, like, I have like, so the hockey guys, me and my buddies, like, when we were younger, absolutely. Um, I have friends, like farmer friends, same thing. And like, I've, I've had some of them. I've had to translate the hockey guys talk to. Uh, back and forth. I had one friend that was legitimately, when he was playing junior hockey, was legitimately traded for like some pucks and other equipment to another team. Like... <laughs> okay. It, yeah. Fabulous. I'm I'm That's glad amazing. that wasn't on the recording, but that was that was all I wanted. <laughs> Dude, the stereotypes exist for a reason, and it's I, like anybody I, in their right mind knows that it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> with that, should we so... start recording? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Are we already recording, or do you? Yeah, need we to are recording. One? But I just figured you. Were <laughs> all right. Start with that one then. I'll cut everything before that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Nature Chat, the show after the show, where some part of the cast of Nature Check talk about what happened in the show and talk about characters and things. And we have our very first special guest player with us to be the victim today. Yeah, that's right. You and your blank wall background. Um, <laughs> so we've got Dan Peach with us, who's playing Bedwer. Um, so first off, as always, we do a recap um, for the Nature Chat. Um, so this past episode of Nature Check was sort of a fresh start because the PCs had just finished a whole bunch of storylines. They're only five days into living on Arda, and already so much has happened to them. Um, so they woke up in the morning and were hanging out in the marked bird when they found out that there was a gentleman whose livestock had been uh, summarily killed during the night, and they decided to go out to his farm and investigate um, to see if they could figure out what had killed the livestock and if they could help in any way. Um, as they were investigating, they met an Ibixian, or a goat folk, depending on who you are and where you read your D&D &D monster manuals. Um, and this uh, Ibixian's name is Bedward, played by Dan. Um, Bedwer was able to provide some local knowledge of wildlife and things that may have contributed to this livestock problem. Um, so the whole group, including Bedwer, went off to investigate a flooded field, um, which might have been creating nesting habitat for sturges, which are D&D monster mosquitoes. Um, they found the erstwhile farmer working that field being attacked by a group of six sturges. Uh, the Player characters were able to kill most of the Sturges. Two of them flew off, um, but unfortunately the Sturges had also drained the life force of the farmer. And that is the dark curtain on which we closed. <laughs> Sad face. Um, so yeah, how did you guys feel about this episode and the adventure and having an NPC who, be, who was actually being played by another human being that wasn't me? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Dan, how did you feel about that? Like, uh... I, I, I thought it was a very, very interesting world to, to become immersed in. Um, the, the, the lore that you guys have created, the, the background there, it's sort of interesting to watch more and more of the surface be scratched away and, and find the things that, that lie underneath the, uh, the, the native races like the Abaxians in this, this area, as well as some of the local, local wildlife that mm-hmm. I've been exposed to before and the <laughs> ecological interactions uh, with them. Uh, so, uh, so, um, obviously, uh, you, ha- well, I, I guess I should, I want you to ask, have you watched any episodes of Nature Tech before? Uh, I've listened to them. Okay. I have been, uh, yeah, I've been your, your, I think in one of your earlier podcasts, you made a comment about a bunch of random viewers and downloads from, uh, Canada, and uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that was based, that was my, myself and my lab mates. Yes. Were. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, uh, I don't, don't always get to listen to them right away, but, uh, I, you know, even with the with the delay, there are things I listen to transit okay. in the morning, and yeah, fantastic. So, and and so, when you were putting yourself into this role, are you um, a goat person in real life? <laughs> um, he starts unzipping uh, his face. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of bad puns that I could uh, could start going with here, but uh, <laughs> no, a funny story. I did use way back in the day. I played in a, a death metal band, and I had a pretty big goatee. Uh, my dad is a, a farmer, and he had goats that had babies, and he tricked me into going over and taking pictures with all of these these kids to uh, put up on the internet and then ask if I was the father. Um, <laughs> it was a very elaborate and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Your dad sounds Every, very awesome. Everybody very else but me thought it was very <laughs> Okay, so you're not you're not IRL a goat person, but uh, no, I'm not a goatman. You do have personal knowledge about um, blood drinking in arthropods. I do, I do. So I uh, I did my my PhD on on mosquitoes. I've fed more than uh, 250 thousand of them, um, even personally. several personally sticking my arm in in the cage. Uh, I believe it's somewhere north of 20 liters of, of my blood that has has gone into. Uh, maintaining them. Um, so uh, many people know that it's just the female mosquitoes that, that, that bite, but uh, there are, there are 3,500 species of mosquitoes in the world. Not all of the females take blood in those that do. Not all of them feed on uh, vertebrates. Not all of them feed on mammals even, and those that do feed on mammals, not all of them feed on humans. In those that do take blood, it's, it's only the females, and they do so not as a, a source of food or a source of energy necessarily, although some can do that. They're generally going for uh, the nutrition and the proteins in there to develop their eggs. So if you want to keep a colony of mosquitoes going, you need to provide them with a source of blood uh, to to have the females lay eggs and, and keep your, your insects coming. So um, even though you uh, are not yet a father, you or <laughs> if, if you even intend to become a father, you've already participated in the reproductive process is what you're saying. Absolutely. And these, these lazy gets not a single thing for Father's Day, not a one. <laughs> Wow. I tell them I tell them to do stuff they don't listen it's uh, yeah so all right so uh, because you're the first um, mosquito um, researcher scientist that we've had on I do want to kind of double hit this so when sure. you say you personally fed them I, I've always heard this is this is a thing in the, the labs that do study mosquitoes as an agricultural scientist this is not something I've experienced personally but it is it is uh, the responsibility of the scientists to personally feed their blood to the mosquitoes by sticking. I mean, sticking. It their totally arm. depends on a case by case basis. Um, you you can get, uh, for instance, um, 
lamb's blood or, or sheep's blood, you can get animal blood to, to feed them in an artificial feeding device. Um, but it tends, to, you know, it's it's expensive, right? You gotta you gotta pay for it. Um, you can uh, also have, uh, if, you, if you're you know go through all the red tape with animal care, you can get a restrained guinea pig or a chicken, depending on the mosquito species that you're working with, um, and have them take blood from that. But um, uh, for for us, it was just with the the budget and and all of the the red tape and stuff. Um, it was just the the quickest and cheapest and easiest way to do it. You have to be very careful to, to make sure that you know somebody goes and takes a vacation down somewhere that might have a tropical disease that they're uh, that they don't come back and feed anything right away. And you also make sure that any given cage of mosquitoes is only fed by one person. So when a when a, a pathogen is spread by a mosquito, they feed on somebody that has that pathogen. The pathogen then gets into the mosquito and replicates, and then the next person that mosquito bites, um, they they deliver some of that pathogen to them. But if you have mosquitoes that you've reared from the, the larval stage, uh, they should be uh, completely pathogen-free. So uh, for me to start a cage, take some mosquito larvae, rear them to adulthood, feed them, that's, that's great. If my supervisor takes a turn, he, he takes some larvae and, and raises them and does the same thing himself. It's not uh, sticking arms in cages fed by each other because that's how bad things happen. I do want to... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, our lab also, or my previous lab, also did a lot of work with bed bugs. And the technician, uh, who was my supervisor's wife, her name is Regina Grease, currently holds the Guinness Book of World Records record for number of bed bugs fed. At the time they did that, I think she fed more than a third of a million bed bugs on herself for that research, and it's oh probably about a hundred thousand more than that by now. Oh my gosh! Wow! Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, as bad as I, I you know, I, there are people that have it worse than I do. <laughs> I just want to point out how great it is that the animal care protocol takes better care of guinea pigs than it does of the human researchers working with these animals. Like, so it, it, de it depends. To, it totally to depends. Paperwork. Yeah, it totally depends on the, the, the ethics board of the, the institution you're at. Um, so, for for instance, some some places, and this is the, the university I did mine at, if you're doing, if I were to feed these mosquitoes um, my blood, I couldn't do experiments on the mosquitoes that I'd, I'd fed. Um, it's if I'm doing if you're experimenting on the organism, or on the, the that has consumed the human fluid, uh, or or on the fluid itself, you can't do that. But because it's the offspring of those that we then experiment on, it's it's just enough to they said, yeah, go for it. Plus the fact that you know it's my research and I'm voluntarily doing it myself and informed consent. I know exactly what's going on. And yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I guess I felt like there was a joke in there about undergrads and guinea pigs and who gets treated better. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, or grad students and guinea pigs yeah, and who gets yeah. treated better. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, it's important for us to talk about this, like like you said very briefly, why you're feeding them blood, though, right? Because I think that there might be a slight misconception that people think mm -hmm. that they, like, they're, they're drinking the blood in order to be alive, but that's not true. So right. what is it about the development of their eggs that requires this blood meal? Um, well, so the, the primary uh, and ubiquitous food of adult mosquitoes is plant sugar, primarily in the form of floral nectar, but that's mostly just for carbohydrates, right? They're not usually getting a, a ton else from that. You can, sure, you can get some amino acids and, and a few other things in there, but it's it's the, the nutrients from your blood, the, the protein. I believe it's isoleucine is the, the limiting amino acid that, that is really important for them to get, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there that they need to to develop these eggs, and I, I should say they, they often can develop eggs if you feed them other things. If you, um, if as long as they they've developed, uh, they've, they've eaten enough in the larval stage. So there are some species of mosquitoes that are uh, what we call autogenous, and, and they can lay eggs without consuming anything as an adult, just based on what they've eaten in the larval stage. 
um, they can digest their own uh, wing muscles and uh, use use that to, to develop their eggs. Um, but getting a blood meal for a mosquito is a super big payoff. So if it, you know some of these species, like the yellow fever mosquito, if, if she gets a, a big blood meal from you, she can lay 100, 200 eggs, right? It's a it's a big deal as opposed to um, if, if uh, she were to, to digest her own musculature to, to, develop, or to lay her, develop her eggs and then lay them, it would be much, much less than that in the single digits or, or low double digits kind of thing. So there's a really big evolutionary incentive to go and, and get blood if they can. It's a huge payoff. There's a lot of mortality associated with it, you know, swatting, um, uh, slowing them down and making them more vulnerable to, to dragonflies and other predators. But it's a, it's a big deal if they can get it. That's wild. I had no idea that it um, increased their fecundity or their fitness that much to take that single blood meal. Absolutely, it's a it's a pretty pretty huge deal for them, and it's depending on on um, there there are a couple different hypotheses as to how hematophagy develops in mosquitoes, blood feeding developed in mosquitoes, and one of them, anyways, is is that it came from nectar feeding, um, and it just was such a huge payoff that it, it, it was reinforced very strongly, very quickly. And uh, took off from there. Uh, it's interesting because I've heard, you know, that blood blood is a very hard to digest food item. Uh, you know, that it's it seem, it surprises me that that they were able to quickly adapt. Or I mean, maybe they weren't, but you know. Yeah, ev evolutionarily quickly. Yeah, right, right. I should, yeah. some, I should put some quotation marks around that. <laughs> sure. Um, that, yeah, just that that's an interesting switch, but. I mean, so there, there are. Um, I briefly mentioned, you know, amino acids in, in nectar previously, and there are, there are species that, you know, if you, you were to feed some um, nectar with amino acids, and it can use that to develop eggs. Um, one of the the competing hypotheses to the, the blood feeding developing from nectar feeding is um, that they were they would feed on the hemolymph of other, of other insects, um, and that transitioned from there to blood feeding, um, and that the the, the support. For that is is um, in very rare instances uh, in laboratory settings you can get mosquitoes to feed on on insects to feed on insect hemolymphs uh, sorry hemolymph and um, it's it's a bit you know you kind of have to set it up in a very artificial setting but it does work and they can develop can develop eggs from that um, there are also the the what's thought to be the ancestor of mosquitoes back. Uh, 200 million years ago or so are, are thought to have been um, uh, well they at least they have have were thought to be mandibles and they're thought to be predacious upon other insects so you mentioned the um, you during the episode we talked about the the leech feeding um, mm -hmm. or the annelid the worm feeding um, mosquitoes are those so those are feeding on non-vertebrate correct so Correct. are those ancestral? Like, are those? No. those are not considered primitive. Okay. No, they're they're. Uh, uh, my recollection, if I'm remembering the species right, is Uranitania sapphirina, which is uh, I, so Uranitania species in any case. And I, if I'm remembering my uh, phylogeny correctly, they're they're pretty derived. Huh. The um, most ancestral living mosquitoes we have are, are in the genus Anopheles, which are those that spread malaria. Um, oh. They also, if you look at them under a microscope, they're quite interesting in that they're, so the, the proboscis, the pointy bit from a mosquito that feeds on you, um, but the, the, beside that are, are palps. And male mosquitoes, the ones which only feed on, on plant sugar and floral nectar, um, the palps are just as long as the proboscis in, in most species, if not longer. 
whereas for most females, they're they're very short, they're very reduced. But these ancestral anopheles mosquitoes, in their females, the palps are as long as the proboscis as well. Um, so the, the the significance of that is is still under exploration, but. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's talk more about their mouth parts because you talked about mandibles just now and what you know the uh, what the ancestor might have looked like and now we're talking about palps versus proboscis. So can you sort of run down for our viewers and listeners how the multiple mouth parts on a mosquito work? Sure. Um, so the the part of a, a mosquito that that feeds on you is the uh, proboscis, uh, which refers to the um, the entire entire structure. You have the the uh, labium and, and labella, which is sort of the, the sheath, and then inside that you have uh, the uh, the labrum and the uh, mandibles and um, maxillae. And so basically, what happens is when a mosquito lands on you, um, the, the proboscis will, will fold back, um, and the, uh, the the labrum and all the other parts, which are collectively often referred to as a stylet, will pierce into your into your skin just like a hypodermic needle. And you'll get some of the, uh, the the tip of the maxillae will often have little teeth sort of things on the end of them, and they'll search around looking for, for capillaries uh, under your skin, um, little little bit of cutting action there with the teeth, and and then she will suck your blood. So when you just say... like a, a vampire, just in time for Halloween. So when you say teeth, you mean like a saw blade, right? Like not sorry, like yeah, not sewing. not. No, no, like, like, yeah, not, not bone, not, uh, but, uh, Ooh, mosquitoes yeah. with teeth is scary. <laughs> I, I had, just before my PhD defense, one of the fellows on my committee, uh, I guess he came across the Yahoo uh, answers question asking how many teeth mosquito had, or mosquitoes had, and he emailed that to me and said, I expect you to know this for your defense. And I'm sitting there, of course, in panic mode, like, what the hell, man? And in retrospect, it's like, okay, if he thought you were in trouble, he wouldn't be trying to mess with you right yeah. before your PhD defense. <laughs> so, so this is something, so, okay, so this is, this is definitely a tangent, but, uh, so, um, so when, when mosquitoes feed on people, it's referred to mm -hmm. as a bite, right? Yes. Um, but I, as, uh, so I, um, I work with stink bugs and related, um, species, who also have a piercing mouth part, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and usually they're they're feeding on plants, but there are some that are predatory. And for some reason, to me, referring to something feeding with a piercing mouth part as a bite seems wrong to me. Yeah. Even though you use it for mosquitoes, <laughs> so like when I'm out with. I a, hear you, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, do you do you do you have a take on that? You just call it a bite? No, I've, <laughs> uh, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. I, you know, whatever the consensus is, oh. I'm, I'm happy to go with that one. Just relying <laughs> on your professional expertise to, to settle yeah. this. Yeah, okay. Um, there was a, a, a paper I read just, just a while ago, um, interestingly, with, uh, I think it was Western conifer seed bugs. There was a record of one landing on a lady and, and blood feeding on her. Um, and she described it as quite, quite painful and left her with a very, very big welt. Yeah, I'm bite versus whatever else. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> That's a thing in the in the Midwest too with the the, um, the minute pirate bugs mm -hmm. that come out on the goldenrod. I feel like um, Jody Green, who's going to be one of our guests when we play in St. Louis, she was posting about it last year on Twitter that like a lot of people call her office and ask about these minute pirate bugs because apparently if you stick your hand or your face in the flowers where they're all hanging out, they'll bite you. I have goldenrod in my yard and, and saw the pirate bugs on it, but I haven't been bitten yet. So, so one of one of the, the main 
thrusts of, of my thesis, and uh, we, we have this in an article we published in Scientific Reports earlier this year, um, we were looking at the actual chemical compounds emitted from uh, flowers, um, or in the case of things like goldenrod or the flower we work with, common tansy, composite flowers um, that attracted mosquitoes. And we, we found that quite a few of those compounds were actually shared with humans. Um, so that could be what's going on with the, I mean, this is pure speculation, but with these pirate bugs, right, if they're feeding on this flower and they're picking up on, on you know, some of the small acids and other compounds that are often present on your, your skin um, or being emitted by microbes that are present on your skin, um, it might be very easy to, to get confused. Hey, this thing that I'm on smells like my food. Why not try biting it? That's wild. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I've been, I've been if, you, if you ever have you know a flower like goldenrod or something and you smell it and you, you get sort of a, a stinky cheese or a cheesy kind of smell from it or a stinky foot smell, that's um, one of some of those compounds at least are, are shared with people or the microbes <laughs> associated with us. So I so what you're saying is I can tell people that my feet smell like flowers. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> on, the stinky, on the stinky foot angle, there was a uh -oh. a, a group that uh, did some research in the mid to late 90s that actually won an Ig Nobel Prize for their work, finding that um, Ig, uh, uh, Limburger cheese um, is attractive to uh, Anopheles mosquitoes, the ones that transmit malaria, preferentially bite you around the feet and ankles. Um, and they found that they were attracted to the odors coming from Limburger cheese, and they thought it was because the microbes present uh, on this cheese were very closely related <laughs> to those on your feet. <laughs> Delightful. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Are you hungry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Peter and his whole mozzarella earlier. So. <laughs> that was before we started reco recording. I thought we were. I thought this was a safe space. Oh, oh you did, did you? Did, we're uh, on the internet, uh, man. Nothing is safe ever. Nothing is safe. We are all simultaneously just every bad thing about humanity to everybody else right now. It's true. The three of us represent all of humanity's ills. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's a lot of responsibility. I know, um, right? <laughs> uh, so I want to know how you started studying mosquitoes. So you said you got your PhD studying mosquitoes. Was um, what did you do? Did you do like a master's or something before that? How did you wind up in that lab doing that project? You, like, what what sort of angle drove you to this research? And sure, why did I'll... you stay with mosquitoes after you, <laughs> after your PhD? <laughs> so, uh, doodly, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, origin story time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did my bachelor in environmental science at Simon Fraser University here in, in, in BC, um, and during that I, I did a lot of co-op, um, cooperative uh, education. So it's sort of in the summer they get you a paid position and somewhere related to your, your degree. And uh, one of the the jobs that I had um, was that working with the sort of Canadian equivalent of the uh, uh, USDA. So we have its, it was called Agriculture Canada, it's now Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Um, and working with uh, uh, crop insects actually, pests of crops, so working with cranberry pests specifically, there's a little uh, midge that gets in the tip of cranberries called cranberry tipworm, and we were looking at that and trying to identify its pheromone. Um, but we partnered with, with the lab that would eventually be my grad school lab, and that's how I got exposed to them. Um, so I, I did that for a few semesters. I, uh, I then decided to change gears and uh, work in environmental consulting for a while. Um, that's how I got to, exposed to doing things like paid whale watching trips and uh, uh, neat stuff like that. Um, but I, I decided to go back to grad school, and when I did, I thought, well, 
know, this lab that I worked with for this chemical ecology stuff, I, I just really liked everything about them. The supervisor is a fantastic guy, um, super supportive of his students. They they have a, a they're reasonably well funded. They're just it sort of ticked every box, and it was like, well, and I can also you know stay in my neck of the woods and you know have some some help from family and stuff to to get through it. Um, so I started off in, in the master's program there. I started in the master's in pest management program. The mosquitoes were assigned to me as a, a study organism, a study project. We were looking at um, at these these uh, attract these floral compounds that attract mosquitoes with the uh, intention of turning them into a mosquito bait or using them mm -hmm. in conjunction with some products that are already out there and that mimic human sense to attract mosquitoes. So um, when mosquitoes are, are very, very young, or young adults, so when they're, they've been an adult for just like a couple days, um, the, the females don't really, um, they're not as attracted to, to human odors and human cues as, as they are to flower cues. So if you give them a choice when they're, when they're super, um, super young into the adult phase, they'll generally prefer floral odors or floral cues over those of vertebrates. Um, so we thought, well, you know, great, if we can come up with something that attracts these, these younger mosquitoes, like we can either use it on its own or combine it with some, some human odors to, to improve these things. So that's that's how I got started on, on mosquitoes. Um, and I was a little apprehensive at first, especially when I was told I had to feed them. Um, <laughs> although, to be fair, my supervisor said, like, I'm, my supervisor said that he was perfectly okay doing it if I didn't want to. But I thought, well, if I'm if I'm in this to win it, I better uh, <laughs> at least not be exposed to my study organism. Some people have you have to eat your study organisms, so I figured I should let the study organism eat me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, was definitely not not fun at the start. Um, sticking sticking your arm into a cage full of mosquitoes. I mean, your natural reaction is of course to swat them, right? It's it's almost like just a, a muscle memory thing. Um, so looking the first time I did this, I can still remember it clear as day. Just looking through this mesh on my arm, and like like I, I could see my arm shaking. I could feel myself sweating, and it felt like I, I, I had hundreds of mosquitoes on me. It felt like I could feel every single individual fight bite. Oh man, what am I, what am I doing? If I, if I'm going to be doing this for the next few years, this is just, you know, okay. Well, I'll give this a try for a little while and see how it goes. Um, and yeah, the first few few times I did it, like, I couldn't sleep, sleep at night. I was so itchy. Everything in the book at once wasn't enough to to, to get rid of it. But um, I was sort of told that well, if, if I keep doing it, I'm either going to develop an allergic reaction or an immunity to it. And luckily, it, it, immunity, quote unquote. But um, yeah, luckily it, it just my body reacted less and less with time. I was about to ask you what your tips were for mosquito bite, uh, you know, uh, uh, relief, I guess. Um, but apparently you don't have any except just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, my my wife hates to go hiking with me. This is just purely anecdotal, but it seems like it, it just out in in the woods or whatever that they don't come to me as much as they used to. So I'm almost wondering if my body's just adapted and changed my skin chemistry somehow to to make um, myself less attractive to them. There are certainly, it, and there are companies with patents on this sort of stuff, that there are um, compounds that your body will naturally produce that are uh, repellent or at least less attractive to mosquitoes. But, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody's looked into whether that changes uh, based on how much biting pressure you've had. So mm -hmm. I'd sort of suspect that maybe that's the case. And now my wife hates to go into the woods with me in mosquito season because they all, all go to her and uh, leave me alone for the most part. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I know, just uh, again, anecdotally, um, my husband is the person who mosquitoes are always very attracted to, and um, we've heard a lot about the idea that, like, different blood types are more or less attractive to mosquitoes. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, and I, sh I should say that there there is 
confliction in uh, there's conflicting literature out there on a lot of it. So this is just sort of my personal take on on what's out there. There's no you know entirely agreed upon set of facts, but um, yeah, blood types absolutely um, can have an effect on it, and it's, it's, it all comes down to your, your skin chemistry. So mm. when a mosquito um, is attracted to a person, they're picking up on the carbon dioxide in your breath, they're fixing, picking up on um, volatile organic compounds that come off of your body, they're picking up on ammonia, um, heat, moisture, and visual cues. So uh, dark clothing, they'll be more attracted to light clothing, and also movement. Um, but some, some people, uh, depending on your blood type, it's thought to have a, an effect on what, what compounds come off of your skin, um, and that will, will affect the attraction of mosquitoes. So when a mosquito is coming to you, it's not it doesn't smell the blood. It's it's what contains the blood. It's not the it's not the what's in the present. It's the package that mm. does that the trick. And yeah, the different uh, blood types will have different skin chemistries chemistries associated with them. Um, and and yeah, so my my recollection anyways is that the O's are the most attractive and. Uh, oh, as for the, the A's and B's, I can't remember which which comes where in that hierarchy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, well then, uh, Cheryl, maybe you'll allow us a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, would are the different species in D and D? Do they are they differently attractive to uh, sturges? Are you know <laughs> half elf blood? Is it more? Mm, mm, mm. Mm -hmm. I uh, I didn't. Um, there's nothing in the sturge entry as written about that, and I didn't really do a whole lot of working on you know developing them within the ecology to be like oh they preferentially da 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 um, because they're not mosquito equivalent. Um, but there is uh there is a monster that I am planning on um, allowing to be incorporated into the game at some point that does preferentially attack a certain uh, playable race. Um, I used it in a previous campaign, and the player who was playing that race was very upset. And I was like, what do you want from me, man? Like, that's, that's just how it was written in the monster manual. Um, they don't really provide a whole lot of context as to why that particular monster hates or, you know, preferentially attacks that particular race, but I think it's really interesting and maybe it all comes down to chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if Sturges have preferences, but there are some monster manual monsters that do. <laughs> I could certainly see preferences between, you know, uh, uh, you know, kobolds or dragons or... You know. Oh, this is, this is even just a difference between, like, elf versus human versus dwarf. Oh. So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Well, mm. all, all that ale that, uh, that the dwarves drink, that uh, should make them more attractive to, to sturges if they're based <laughs> on mosquitoes. So that, uh, I have heard that, 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 that uh, alcoholic beverage consumption can increase attractiveness. Um, yeah. you know. the, the mechanics of why is, is a sort of a question mark still. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I, and I remember the first... God, I wish I could remember who this was by, but I remember reading a study of one of my first... Uh, weeks in, in grad school where it was it was like a supervisor and his lab went out to the field to do a study on whether or not drinking would be, make you more or less attractive to mosquitoes and like it was basically like the supervisor was the one control while all of the students just consumed the copious amounts of alcohol. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> okay, I love it, but also like, how do you get that public? I don't know, and There's I no I, way. I, for all like for all I remember, it could have been some like BS journal, but I just remember coming across it and thinking like, oh man, <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's great because it's like if it was published in 2003, I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's like that's a terrible journal article. But if it was published in like 1927, I'd have been like, no, this is pretty standard like scientific literature for yeah. that decade. Yeah. <laughs> I've, reading reading old papers. Oh my god. <laughs> I've 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 cited things from the 1700s where it's like you know some Italian monk goes for a picnic with his attendants and is talking about he sees mosquitoes on this type of flower or that type of flower and oh the mosquitoes are flying around his bottle of wine yeah it's really the, the stuff that was written when like um, printing was just becoming a thing in the English language where you have the, the S um, and the F right they'd use the the, 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 the um, S would just would have like a line through the middle of it like mm -hmm. talking about how mosquitoes are sucking on all sorts of things but it looks like an F the entire time <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not not dull research reading then. No, no, no. My, my inner fourteen year old is definitely like <laughs> Speaking of inner fourteen year old, um so not only you were you our yeah, I know, right? Good transition. Um not only were you our first guest player, but you volunteered yourself for this torture. Um so let's talk a little bit about your experience with D and D and why you wanted to come be a part of this. <laughs> Crazy oh, that, weird. That non-functioning project we've got going on here. After you got to the end of that, that was a really good segue. Well, <laughs> Thank <fun>. you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think if, if I remember right, one of my friends came across you on, on Twitter and I mm -hmm. saw something he put up and we got we got in touch uh, across there and it was it was just, yeah. Um, my So my my experience with D&D with, with goes like back, God, quite a ways. The... Uh, I, I, when I was really little, I, I collected hockey cards, of course, and um, <laughs> from from there, I think I, I think. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, the, the store I went to to buy hockey cards from had, I think it was Magic cards, Ooh. and then uh, from those, I think that store closed down, and I went to a different store to get you know those, and they they had Dungeons and Dragons, and then I made the transition into into that, um, and yeah, I got it. Probably would have been yeah at 11 or 12 years old or so played it a bunch growing up and then um, connecting it to, to science uh, a bunch of people in, in the lab at one of the entomological society of Canada meetings said hey would you guys be interested in in playing this I'm like yeah absolutely so of course they have the big gala dinner and everybody has a ton to drink and got like 13 people back to the hotel room and had just like this big one of the messiest D and D sessions you can ever imagine but it was uh, such a hot mess it kind of went full circle it became glorious because of that. Um, <laughs> so we had a session that, that night, um, then the next day was I think the last day of the conference and we had a bunch of, a bunch of alcoholic beverages left over so it was okay well let's try and consume these. And we, were, we were late for some function so I just remember people like Smirnoff Caesars like a Bloody Mary in a bottle like at room temperature and people were just chugging this to try and drink it all in time to, <laughs> to finish, finish it while we're playing this game until we, we went to every session we got to. And, uh, yeah, so trying to, to, to bring it into into folks like that, and then some of these one of one of these folks was who who, who heard of you guys and, and uh, got in touch through there, and yeah, several of them follow you and listen to it, uh, like not always right on time, but download it and listen to it on transit or while they're you know looking through a microscope or doing some data entry. That's the joy of podcasts. Well, yeah, like right. Perfect, podcasts perfect are great for entry. lab work and data entry. Well, hey, thanks, Canadian scientists, for listening <laughs> to our podcast. <laughs> hey, you, you've got it. You've got a niche market, so. Yes. <laughs> well, we love all y'all. 
Isn't isn't it a, a thing where it's like if somebody's making in, in the states, if somebody's like got a fake boyfriend or girlfriend, they say it's their like girlfriend in Canada or whatever. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So now you now when people say you have an we audience, have an audience in, Canada, in Canada, nobody's gonna. <laughs> oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so good. <laughs> Oh, it hurts so bad. I know. I know there. I know there are. Um, well, I, actually, I didn't confirm it with them, but I have some friends from Canada. Um, oh well, maybe they're maybe they're listening on her too. They, yeah, they <laughs> they make podcasts too, and so they're probably listening. Oh, right on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So you started playing D and D when you were fairly young. Um. Did you have like a like a a pretty set group that you played with, or was this sort of like a bunch of random one shots throughout? Oh God! When I was really young, it was mostly just this like group at the the local game store we'd go down to and play it every I don't even know what day of the week, but there was a set night we'd go down and, and play, and that lasted for maybe a year or so. And then I found some I ran into some folks down there. I was just like, hey, I, I recognize you from the school, and became became buddies with them. And uh, yeah, I've been playing with with those guys off and on for close to 20 years now. Um, all through wow. high school, we one of them lived next to the school, so we'd go down there and try and get someone's older brother to go buy us some beer and just hang out and, and you know, play D and D every Friday or every other Friday kind of thing. D and D and drinking. Yep. <laughs> That's marvelous. That's, That's glorious. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot worse trouble you can get into than, than that, I figure. So. Yeah. And uh, without giving away spoilers, because we haven't explored the whole storyline yet, but I'd love to hear. I mean, I I have heard some of it already, but if you could share with Peter and with our audience in Canada, um, <laughs> your <laughs> your process behind like um, building Bedwar, mm-hmm. um, I think we'd love to hear more about like you know your thought process behind building that character. Sure. Um, well, I mean, the, the race of, of an Abaxian is that, that came from, from, from yourself as a, as a suggestion, but the, the backstory to it, I, I think part of the inspiration from it came from one of your, your first episodes where you guys were talking about colonization. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, that's that's really interesting, but I, I was also listening to um, a podcast about the history of Ireland at the time and how Ireland was colonized. I thought, okay, well, like, that's not, when you when you do that, usually, when colonization comes up, that's not usually the... the, the um, pain that it goes through, but oh, well, that might be really neat to to take that and draw on it for for inspiration um, here. And so thinking about it, and then like oh, okay, you know, the, the, the Celtic um, tribes and stuff, all the tattoos and the the the, the woad and stuff that they have. Um, but, oh, well, that could be sort of tied into the, the body painting to to, to keep uh, biting insects away. And it just yeah, it just sort of sort of went from from there. Okay, you get this big hulking goat person barbarian with all these Celtic swirls and stuff on him, and tie it into the biology of the the uh, monsters that we're going to be going to be fighting, or we, and we now have have fought. Um, I thought it was 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 quite neat, and also a bit of a different take on the colonization aspect, but also on a barbarian, right? Because usually it's it's a big Conan kind of type type person that you you think, um, but there's you know different different types of barbarians, right? Very much so. I love that. <laughs> and yeah, he he asked me, he was like, so how about Gaelic? And I was like, great. And then I was like, oh, crap. That means I have to learn how to pronounce a whole bunch of like, Gaelic names. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a lot of trouble uh, trying to come up with an accent that I felt I could consistently keep. Because every time I would try to do like a really heighty tighty like kind of that sort of thing, I would just like it just goes into Australian for me. So like, <laughs> like I feel you as someone who still can't keep their character voice straight. 
Your I, character voice isn't even that different from your voice, man. I know. I feel like it started off being more so, and it's just gradually regressed back to regular <laughs> voice. And I didn't even well, try as long as, no. as long as your regular voice doesn't start slipping into your character voice when you're not paying yeah. attention. <laughs> My 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 biggest voice problem right now. This is stupid, but Leon is supposed to have a German accent. I speak German, but I like can never do a, like a, <laughs> a German person speaking English. That accent is very hard for me for some reason. Ah uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> the the supervisor whose lab I was in and his, his wife that feeds the bed bugs. They're they're from Germany, so we we get exposed to that a, a lot. <laughs> I feel kind of bad. I have to look over my shoulder every time I I do it because I'm like <laughs> don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, no, I I've, I loved all of the, like you said, all those like neat details that just sort of clicked. It sounds like you sort of had galaxy brain while you were making this character. But yeah, it wound <laughs> up being like, it, it fits really nicely with the story. And, and I was so appreciative because doing these guest spots, I didn't want to be like too restrictive and be like, this is what you're doing and this is how you're doing it. But also like, you can't just give me random stuff because I yeah. have to, you know. So yeah, no, I, I thought it was, this was really fun and great and I loved it. And now I want everyone to volunteer to come be a guest player on the show. So. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, I kind of feel that the best best thing someone can, can do as a guest is to make just lots of ammunition and possible hooks and stuff to be um, used for or not in the future, but just to have these these sort of you know possibilities pop up and the DM can pick and choose as they go, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a it's ultimately a, a creative and uh, improvised uh, improvisation um, exercise, and just creating that sort of fuel is 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 what keeps it going. Absolutely, I'll, and oh, go for it. I'll, I'll say I just as as a character, I, f I mean I find it insanely intimidating uh, as far as a road to walk because like I have. I have so, I mean, like, as, as somebody who is only, you know, like, the, the most privileged category of people that you can possibly be, <laughs> I, I am trying to do my best as a, as a human being to, you know, address colonialism and, and uh, you know, all of these other, you know, things that we touch on with this topic, and then doing that and trying to be respectful of these issues... <laughs> And then through the lens of a character who is not that, you know, is not, is, is, <clears throat> has basically the exact same privileges that I do, but is uh, less aware than I am, which is still not that aware. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very, it's a very difficult, um, uh, a uh, thing to, to do. And I am, I'm sure I'm, I'm, could do it infinitely better, but it's, uh, it, I, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, something that I, I don't know. I'm I'm really struggling with, and I don't know. It's continuing to challenge me as a as a as a person dealing with these these topics. Um, which... I'm glad we have it though. Like, yeah, the metaphor of Cedric hits you in the face, mm -hmm. which so it's not subtle, but like I think it's really <laughs> valuable to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, I like that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think part of the. You, you know, when you when you do something like this, it's like with with art and with acting, right? It's sometimes like even though you have, you're you're not the character, you just have to put yourself in the character's shoes and, in a respectful way, but like do your best to, to sort of um, think of things from that perspective and, and and act with other people who are, are putting on these these character masks to to make an interesting story and to to uh, bring these things to light and to explore them, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 the the art aspect of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
Um, have you ever run a game yourself, or are you? Oh yes. Always, yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, uh, that's why I, I, I appreciate the, the, the DM angle uh, and <laughs> letting letting people run free with stuff, but also not wanting to just throw a bunch of random stuff at you and having to be like, uh, how do I do anything with this? Um, no, we uh, uh, the group of friends that I've been been playing with for for a long time. We often take take turns DMing. Um, and I've actually started a, a group up recently with um, my wife and a couple of her girlfriends from high school um, and uh, another couple that, that we're good friends with, all of whom are uh, listening to this. So, hi, guys. Oh, uh, hi. <laughs> we have a, 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 a group with them that uh, we started, and I, I DM that, but some of them have actually started DMing other groups outside of that, um, which is, is fantastic. And I think it's really, really great to have experience from both sides of the fence. And it makes you better as a player and as a DM to sort of know um, each side of that, right? It gives you that experience. So, okay, here's here's sort of the dynamic that's going on. Here's how I can um, um, build on what this person just did, but still stay in a, in a way that, like, is a, is a two-way street and everybody interacts with. You know? At least that's my experience with no, it. No, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, and, yeah. and Cheryl and I have had the same. You know, I've I've DM too, and so Cheryl and I have had those same conversations where it's mm -hmm. it's very much like, oh, you know, it, it's it's interesting how much it forces you to to think more critically as a player. Uh, once you tr are, you know, you more proactively, actively, co telling a story. Mm -hmm. And some of some of the most memorable. Uh, most memorable memories that I, I have from from D and D, whether on either side of that, are things that nobody intended to be a large plot thing at the start of it. Yeah. Right, L little details that one person threw out there, and the other the other side was like, "Oh, hey, that's kind of neat." So I'll throw out this other thing to build on there, and it just 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 goes like that, right? Like, <laughs> and, and some of these things are just yeah, they become incredibly important plot hooks or, or, or inside jokes that last for years off of just off the cuff little comments or little added bits of detail that you know if if they hadn't become something big, would have added more flavor to the story, but done nothing else. But that you can take and, and roll with that, and 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 pick up and go with. Um, I had a, a friend once that like, okay, great. We had, a, I think this was when I was DMing, but he he killed a, a necromancer or some sort of sentient undead, and the character nailed the head to the shield. This is an ornament. Well, if this thing's undead. That head's still going to be alive. So let's let's see how that goes. And it became this like three-year campaign kind of thing, or like. Uh, that there was another one where somebody paid for something with coins, and they just happened to say, like, "Yeah, these ancient, ancient coins that like none of us recognize or whatever." Like, he's uh, put out, and it's, "Oh, okay, great." So, it's, like, have the players speculate where those coins from, and then just like, "Yeah, what he said is totally what I was planning all along." That's right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I totally agree, though. Yeah, like random things just become so important, and I guess that's why um, when people talk about, I, I feel like. Travis on Critical Role is my favorite example for this. Like, he hates shopping episodes. And I feel like a lot of people hate shopping episodes, but there's also something to be said for a, a geek like me who likes world building above all other things. Um, like, every single shopkeeper in Arda, or in New Seychester, has, like, a name and a race and a yeah. family and, like, a personality or, like, as Cedric found out in his first shopping experience, like, they all have religious affiliations and, like, <laughs> I just, like, I think it's really fun to roleplay the people in the world because you never know what sort of weird thing um, could come out of, like, role-playing with a random shopkeeper. Yeah, so I, I people the world fully because I want those things to happen. And I'm, I'm sure that takes a lot of time and effort, right? But 
Absolutely, yeah. It, it adds a, an extra layer to it that, it, you yeah. Know. Well, and it, and it worked because in in the last campaign that I ran, um, one of my or one of my player characters, like the first interaction they had with a particular shopkeeper, he developed a crush on her. And so she went from being <laughs> some like random NPC with like a few details scribbled down on a note card to be like, oh, I have to think of her favorite. <laughs> like, what, what's her favorite restaurant? What's her favorite color? How does she feel about musical performances? Because now he's taking her on dates and I'm oh. like... You gotta be kidding me, man! Was, but it was, was amazing. Was there some like awkward role playing where you had to pretend to be this character that had the? It was super awkward because the yeah. player was my friend's husband, and meanwhile, my <laughs> husband was also a player. That it was really great. Um... My my wife does that to me all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're like you're making this really weird, honey. Like... Yep. Yeah, but I can't tell you anything more about that shopkeeper <laughs> character because she's also in New Sanchester. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is I, I like this because I um I love those kinds of tangents and as a, 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 a like my personality is if I'm gonna play D and D like those are the kinds of things that I go off on, but I I do think like as a you know with the point of this podcast we're mm. also trying to like do specific things and hit specific notes and also it can be a little bit exclusionary for the other players like you know you're like oh like me and the dm are gonna do this thing for like 45 minutes and <laughs> just gonna sit there and be like okay like uh, it's cute but you know go on um i i, I it's interesting it's interesting trying to to do D D performatively you you run into a little bit of like I don't know. And I was thinking about that tonight specifically because I, like when Cedric comes down, there's this, you know, kind of debate going on at the bar. I, you know, <laughs> the rats. It's, like, it's, it's a very obvious plot hook, right? And, and I, I you Thanks. know, Dan, like, I, like <laughs> but like, I know, you know, like, obviously I know tonight we have a guest player we need to incorporate you like th this is this is happening and i was like man i kind of wish cheryl had at least given me like a hint of like okay so yes you need to follow up on this very obvious plot hook so that we can like do this thing because it, it was like which never would i ever want in a real like a real sorry in a in like a non-performative D, D game but it was like man i kind of need a little bit of railroading here like yeah to, to make this I, happen I, I realized that that was happening i was like well i want this conversation between these two guys because i want you to hear what both of them have to say and then when you reacted and i was like oh I, I realized that I hadn't given you enough information to be like, oh, so the storyline that includes Dan is the one with the farm animals. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's like... P.S. He's not a parrot merchant or whatever. <laughs> when, when I was sitting there, I was like, rats? We didn't talk about any bloody rats. What's going no, on here? No, we didn't. We did not talk about rats. That is, that is its own thing. Um, <laughs> but that's another thing, right? Like it also makes the world more believable because mm -hmm. it wasn't just this guy. Like, it would have been a painfully obvious adventure hook if it was just the guy complaining to the bartender and then complaining yeah. to you about mm -hmm. his farm animals, right? The fact that there was someone else who has his own story, like, that's that makes it more three-dimensional. And yeah, sure, you can follow up on the rats later if you decide you want to, but, like, you know, it's just, it makes the world a little more real. Yeah. And Absolutely. also because that's a and because the guy talking about the rats is a is a person in the world that Nancy's character knows. 
Um, so yeah, like, you know, I, I'm constantly trying to bring in all of that kind of stuff too, because she lives there. So it has to be three dimensional for her, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like it, you know, they're, they're with, with regards to railroading, like it's, it's a thing that use it's a tool, right? You use it in the right amount in the right time in the right place too much or too little of it can be a, a detriment. Um, even in our, our, you know, real lives, like there's a bit of quote unquote rail love roading. We know we have certain deadlines that we have to meet for certain things or certain obligations or, or certain things that we're going to be exposed to. Um, but, you know, how we get from point A to B is often uh, a bit more murky and, and incorporating a bit of that into the this fantasy game, especially when done so judiciously and, and properly timed, nothing wrong with it. And it, it often adds to the adventure. Well, Do you I, think there's a, Oh, go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I like that because I like, you know, and you guys were talking about how much you enjoy like these like random you know throwaway jokes or, or you know incidents incidences that that end up being important later on. And I feel like it's it's funny because from a certain perspective, there are so many things in life like that. Like how many people met their spouse because of some like random situation at some party or some guy said this thing or you know like I feel like there are there's so many things in your life. Like I, I am where I am in my life because of so many very random mm-hmm. things that only happen because so and so, you know, knew a person who introduced me to another person who had a job opening. You know, you know, I feel like that's that's a it's a very real, you know, relatable thing for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I see. I I met my wife online even though she lived a block away from me. We did undergrad in the same school, and her high school friends overlapped with mine and my brother's high school friends. We had no idea either of us existed. Wow. Um, so, yeah. That's amazing. And then she, <laughs> then she threatened to mace me within five or ten minutes of meeting her. But, you know. <laughs> I like this woman. She's so mm-hmm. 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 Her and the bed bug lady. They seem yeah, like the winners. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I keep bringing her up, but there's uh, oh, yeah, yeah. a lot of funny stories there. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, I was going to ask um, the whole idea of like judicious railroading. Do you think that that means there are some like correlates between playing D and D or being the DM of D and D and like mentoring uh, undergrads and grad students in your new position as a P- as a postdoc? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> look, look at it, me redirecting. Look at that. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Speaking of railroading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, uh, how how I I personally learn learn best is, is sort of to have people sort of you know point me in the right direction and give me the starting starting tools to make those first couple you know connections and then sort of let me build from there. And I you know everybody has different different ways that they learn, but I feel that that is a, a very good way to to start undergrads on um, because it helps to build confidence right off the bat. I, the first few experiments that I did on my own. Definitely was nervous about, right? Like, oh, am I, you know, worrying about all these tiny little things that, you know, aren't as 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 big as you end up learning they are down the road. And sometimes you're so focused on the little things that you miss the big things that you should be paying attention to, and that. But helping helping people get off on the right foot and building that confidence up um, from that those foundations is is a, a very important way to start, and it's a, a good way to use railroading in <laughs> in a scientific uh, mentorship kind of context. So. Um, the, and, but you know everybody has different different ways that they learn, and you, you know, sort of have to read the individual as, as well. I've certainly met people who who uh, just were like, yeah, just go for it. You you know what you're doing already. You're a superstar. You, if anything, I should be taking notes from you. And I'm worried because I'm gonna have to compete against you for a job down the line here. But uh, <laughs> um, and you know, uh, 
and, and other all over all over the map. But um, you kind of have to repeat it. And, yeah, and there's there's times too when people get started and you have to correct them and put them back on that railroad. But we all learn in different ways and we all have our ups and downs. <laughs> I threatened. I have threatened to make people be the uh, the mosquito feeder if they. Uh, <laughs> it, it was an empty threat, but you know it was enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and Peter, speaking of your comment earlier about how we both have food last oh. names, uh, I, I had an undergrad who, who who worked with me, and he's a very very talented fellow. And his his name uh, last name is Almond. Um, so we had uh, peach and almond. We always joked that we were a detective agency here, or, <laughs> or a yogurt I flavor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's droop fruits is the the collective term that would include both peaches. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's, that's, that's all the stone fruits, right? Like yeah, so it's, some, it's yeah, something like that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds true. I don't know. Fruits are so weird. You can never keep track of what's a fruit, what's a berry, and you know which uh -huh. reproductive tissue is turning into what part of the edible plant, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Plants are weird. <laughs> yeah, they are. We need to get some plant scientists on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, speaking of railroading, if I can just loop way back to, to mosquito biology, because yeah. I don't think we ever explained why, why Bedmer was singing to the Oh, the no, mosquitoes. we didn't do that yes, one, yeah. Um, and the, the, the connection there is that, that uh, mosquitoes will hear each other. They I've heard it uh, very artfully referred to as they sing to each other. Um, and so the the male uh, the antennae of a male mosquito are very very plumose and they have uh, and both male and female mosquitoes have these but in the male it's particularly derived they have this really derived organism called Johnson's organism they're very sensitive to, to sound at the right frequency and so a male will hear the, the of the of the female and and they'll they'll use that to locate them and then as they get closer they'll actually adjust their their wind beat frequencies and uh, and uh, yeah if, if they're impressive to each other you know. Wild. There are other cues involved as well, but that's, mm -hmm. that's what but the time was. But yeah, um, Dan brought that up as something that we should incorporate, and I was like, yeah, let's go for it. I'll just make something up, because of course, that's, <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, scientists, well, any person who's an expert in anything will always ruin that thing in movies <laughs> for their friends, um, and I feel like scientists are especially bad when it comes to, like, D&D, &D because we're like, but that's not how that monster would do the thing, <laughs> when it's, like, a unicorn or a dragon, and you're like, but dude, it's like, yeah. so, <laughs> so, like, yes, like, we're trying to have fun, but also, yeah, like the the monster manual was not written by biologists, nor should it necessarily should have been. But we can certainly add things if we want. Mm -hmm. So there isn't anything in uh, the monster manual stat block or entry for Sturges about the wing beats and the singing as a correlate to mosquitoes. But when Dan suggested the singing, I was like, I mean, it's got a will score, right? It's got a will save. So I just rolled will saves um, based on his performance um, as the uh, as the difficulty. Um, and so that's why one of them failed, and it worked out great. I don't think that was I don't think that mechanic um, is broken at all. I, I no, think that, no. that, was, that was a really cool addition, and it was very uh, a creative use of your knowledge of the organism. So yeah, I love I love things like that, and I'm certainly gonna keep us open for stuff like that in the future. Because yeah, why not add some more biology and biological mechanisms into the game? Absolutely. The rules the rules exist to be broken, and as long mm -hmm. as it, it adds and you know increases the amount of fun people are having, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I when it happened, I was like, I was like, oh no, I I know what's happening, and I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I was I was given some some books from an old uh, mentor of mine who unfortunately passed away last year. Um, but in in them, I found a newspaper clipping 
from, it was like the late 70s or early 80s, it was somewhere in, in Manitoba, and it was a radio station advertising that at like certain times of the day they were going to play on the radio the wingy frequency of a certain species to uh, for people that were working in the bush, and they were like, hopefully this will repel them or you know give you some some ease from them. <laughs> but I thought it was I mean it, you know obviously didn't didn't take off or it would be much more prevalent today, but I thought it was a very interesting uh, idea for uh, especially for an ad campaign too. Oh man, yeah, that's hysterical. I love it. I you know I. I feel like I've, you know, I've, I've seen things for like sonar, you know, mosquito deterrence or whatever. Is that the mechanism that's supposed to be behind them? Or uh, the, uh, my experience with those things is that at least the ones that I've tested, they, they don't tend to work. Mm -hmm. um, I know there are are um, insects that if, if they hear, for instance, bat sounds, it'll it'll work as a, a repellent. Um, I've not tested that with mosquitoes, but some of the the sound emitters where they'll, you know, emit the, the frequency of different species. Um, don't specifically work, but I mean, there was a, a paper that just came out, I think, in this last year, where they, they found that uh, I think they played Skrillex very, very loudly, and they found that that was able to disrupt um, mosquito uh, behavior. So there, there might be something to it, and it just depends, you know, how you do it or a volume. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I feel like Skrillex and... might repel some people too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in Acta Tropica is the journal, if I'm remembering right. But yeah, I mean, and like they they, they did good good science and everything. It was it's not just some some gimmick. They you know they just okay, well let's choose this as our source of noise and see. Mm -hmm. and oh no, that's it. yeah. I um I interviewed uh, Dr. Brandon Barton for a video for my YouTube channel what like two years ago now. Um, but his research group just in the past year published a a paper looking at using ACDC as like noise pollution and um, <laughs> what organism they were interrupting. <laughs> but yeah, like rock music definitely belongs in science research. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and on, on the the flip side of that, like some of the mosquitoes that specialize in, in feeding on um, amphibians, like they're frog specialists, and they'll actually be attracted to the noise of frogs croaking. Um, whether or not that, that occurs in, in species that, that feed on humans is, is up for, for um, investigation. But there there has been speculation to that in, in papers that the, the um, wing beat frequencies in some species are close enough to the sort of average frequency of, of voices for, for some, some people that it's a, it's a possibility. So maybe like bad karaoke singers get bitten more often? Yeah, if I well, if I remember correctly, it was the the fundamental frequency was, was more likely to overlap with with um, infants and with, with mm. females, hmm. um, which uh, you know, if you you think of people that are, are less likely to be able to defend themselves, infants are, are certainly certainly out there, or a mother caring for an infant certainly be distracted. Mm -hmm. um, There's also just like that's, the straight up frequency and the fact that like infant and female voices have higher frequencies in them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all pure pure speculation. Like nobody's looked in, into that right now. We like wild speculation. <laughs> that's a <laughs> discussion before, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love to see the uh, like IRB review proposal to be like, all right, so we're gonna take a bunch of babies and we're gonna put them in cages. <laughs> <with mosquitoes."> <laughs> <laughs> Any proposal that starts with, so we're gonna take a bunch of babies, is not gonna go. <laughs> we're also we're gonna need them to cry, so we're gonna stab them with pins, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's understandable why that research hasn't been done and shouldn't ever be done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing like somebody does a very well written, you know, intro and significance, then it's in the methods. So we're gonna take a bunch of babies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. The person reading the paper is like, I was with you until that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, we're not going to fund this research, and also, we're putting you on a list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, do you guys, any, either of you have any final thoughts? I feel like this has been a good um, discussion. The time always flies when we do these. Yeah, um, it has it has flown. Dan, this is great. I did well, really today the time you. was about flies. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, these puns, these mosquito puns, are starting to get under my skin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, you know, okay, I can't handle this. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Reach my no, I, I just, I just really want to say thanks for for having me on here, you guys. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's been a, a blast. I look forward to our, uh, the, the second installment there. Um, and if you guys ever find yourselves up in uh, my neck of the woods up here, please shoot me a line. And we'll go grab a beer. Aw, awesome. Well, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much for playing with us and talking to us about your research and stuff. Um, this has been super fun. Um, don't forget that you can follow Nature Check and all of the lovely people who play it on Twitter and maybe also Instagram, depending on how um, much time they put into their social medias. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, if you are uh, an undergrad in British Columbia, um, find Dan and his lab online because they're looking for people to work in their lab. I'll show up my, my Twitter handles just at danpeach3, so drop me a line on there and, yeah. Do all the things. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us and listening to another nature chat. These are always so much fun. I love interviewing people because I get to learn about all kinds of weird stuff I never would have known otherwise. Um, and we will see you um, very soon for the next episode of Nature Check. Bye. Fantastic. Bye. <laughs>